Welcome to It's a Good Life, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Before we begin, I want to tell you about It's a Good Life Plus, our new ad-free subscription on Apple Podcasts. All you've got to do is open the Apple Podcast app and click on It's a Good Life. You'll see a banner under the logo that removes ads and unlocks early access to episodes. It's just five bucks a month, and there's even a free trial. Either way, continue listening to It's a Good Life and sharing the show with others. And here's our man, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to It's a Good Life. A couple days ago, we introduced you to Playing to Win with Bill Hampton. We focused specifically on the area of promotion. As we head for tough economic waters, we need to navigate through. And I believe for my business, and I believe for your business, if you're wise, and if you apply the principles we're sharing, you can grow during this time. And when other people are closing up shop or getting small and trying to wait for the storm to go away, which is going to take a while, by the way, people who are really on it and entrepreneurs who are really up for it, put their chin strap on and go and grow during this time. And that this can be a time of excitement. And I certainly hope you listen to our episode on Play to Win with Bill and how to promote, because that really sets up what we want to talk about today, which is sales. It's the lifeblood of any business. Sales are the cornerstone of the economic system. If you make a bunch of sales, you can make your product better. If you make a bunch of sales, you can deliver great service. But if you're not making a bunch of sales, you can have the greatest product, you can have the greatest service, and nothing happens, and the business dies. So, Bill, welcome back to today's episode. So excited. You did a great job with promotion. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about sales. That's great to be back, Brian. It's always, always fun. We have a good time. We do. We do. So you and I, a couple of old sales guys, have been around a long time. Like all sales guys, we'll talk about growth in our next episode. You know, to be a good salesperson, I think you got to be a personal growth junkie. Uh, and we're both that. But uh, why is sales so crucial to winning? I mean, I know it's obvious, but sometimes the obvious isn't obvious. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it earlier. Nothing happens until a sale is made. That's when the action takes place. You know, I love the story of the five frogs who are sitting on a log and four decide to jump off. And I often ask people, how many are left? The answer is five, because deciding is different than doing. You know, when, they're, when those frogs are on the log, they're letting everyone know they're on the log. That's promotion, which we talked about in the last episode. But when they jump, that's when the sale is made. And that's what happens. And that's what sales does is it makes things, it something happens when a sale is made. And it's also the joy of the journey, especially for those of us that are predisposed to it. I mean, trust me, my favorite part in my career in real estate was handing the keys over to a buyer of a home that never thought they don't have a piece of the American dream. I loved the emotion of that. I loved helping solve problems. I loved helping being in kitchen tables when there was real challenges at home or finances and being there to solve the problem. But trust me when I tell you, and again, I'm dating myself 35 years here, when I put a written contract into my briefcase, closed the briefcase and walked to my car, I didn't skip, but I had a skip in my heart. And there's just nothing like it. And, you know, I do events and we pour ourselves into the events, but I like to know the numbers because for me, more than a standing ovation or you're the greatest or this impacted my life, people actually jumping off the log and getting into coaching, people starting the journey, because I knew without the help, they weren't going to do it. That was the deal, and that still drives me today. 
talk to me a little bit about yourself. Like, why do you love sales? Well, Brian, I love um, when I, what, whatever it might be I'm selling, sometimes I'm selling myself and, and, or whether it's some, what I, when I was selling the Dave Ramsey show or whether I was selling peaches as, you know, we've talked about in the past or the different things that I've done, it usually involves a couple things. Number one, I know that if, if somebody will trust me, they're going to love what I have to offer them. I really believe that. And so that's why I love a sale. And then when it happens, um, yeah, I feel like I've accomplished something. I, I got the ball across the goal line. And there's a great feeling in that of accomplishment. So it's really both sides. Yes, there's something in it for me. But also, I really do believe that what I'm offering, what I'm selling, is going to benefit who I'm selling it to. You bet. I always say enthusiasm, right? The last four letters of enthusiasm is I-A-S-M, and that can often be the acrostic for I am sold myself. And the sale that's made is the feedback that someone is also sold on you, and that's the ultimate. You know, we hear a lot today and a lot of books written about knowing your why and how that can help you sell. You have a bit of a different perspective on this, and I like your perspective on it more than many of the books that have been written that are not from the real world. Share a little bit of how this can help you in sales. Yeah, Brian, I'm glad you asked that. You know, this thing about why, it's so big today. And as you said, there's been so many books and there's TikTok videos and all these things about your why. I I think people get hung up on this more than anything else. And you're almost guilted if your why isn't big enough. If your why is not building a fresh water well in Africa, then your why is not big enough. And you know what, Brian? I think your why is seasonal. I think it can change. You know what? Anyone, when someone tells me that their why got them off the couch and got them to jump off that log, I don't care what the why was. It worked. It was good enough for them. You know about 10 months ago, I was a little out of shape. I was a little overweight. And I had some opportunities on my calendar where I was going to be in front of a lot of people. One of them was your event, Peak Experience. My why for getting in shape was I wanted to look better on stage than yep. I would if I didn't get in shape. That mm-hmm. You know what? That's enough. Yep. That's a good enough why. Yep. So I think this idea that people almost feel bad, oh, my why is not big enough. Hey, your why is anything that gets you to act. Right. Jump off that log. And I do believe it. And again, I think the other dynamic that people forget is there's a sequence to life. Yes. You know, I'm in a season of life now where I am spending more and more of my time on charities. And I was out in Ireland trying to help a good friend of mine, Sean Booth, and looking at a building to build his church in Dublin. Again, it wasn't that I didn't do this stuff all along, but now it takes more of my time. Why? Because I made a boatload of sales. Why? Because I invested well, because I have the resources, because my family's grown. You know, Zig Ziglar said it many, many years ago, and he said the greatest motivational seminar in his life was getting married and having kids. You know, like putting food on the table is a good why. Paying the rent and the mortgage (laughs) is a good why. Buying a car is a good why. And so the other seasons and reasons change over time. You know, I do like the fact that the younger generation, you know, they are more socially conscious, perhaps, than the generations that came before. And one of the reasons they are afforded that opportunity is they have less need. There's more money in the system. There's less poverty in the system. There's less desperation in the system economically. They've had 
resources. They have more options in a lot of ways, and that's good. And so sometimes that's why it appeals to that generation to talk about these giant whys. And by the way, some of these folks who are joining these are writing out these giant whys, they don't know what to do tomorrow. And so I know this is why you brought this up, because if you're reading a book on sales today, or if you're trying to grow on sales, people are going to say, you got to know your why. And I'd say, great. But your why can be, like I say, I want to look better on stage. I want to buy a car. I want to pay off my house. I want to have a 401k. I want to be able to pay for my kids to go to college. Those are all very significant things in a person's life not to be mitigated. And then go build a well in Africa, and you can do that too. Absolutely. You talk about whys. One of the whys I have for you is about belief and why belief is such an important dynamic in sales. You know, one of my favorite salespeople I modeled my career after was Estee Lauder. Here's a woman at the, you know, the early 1900s who, you know, was really a pioneer woman in business. And she had one quote that's associated with her and, you know, and ended up building a brand that became a multi-billion dollar company. But she says, when I sell something, it's when I believe in it. And when I believe in it, I sell it and I sell it hard. And for many of us who are in the service industries, we've got to sell ourselves. Mm. You've got to believe in that product. You've got to believe in your service. Why is belief kind of the first major step that people, before we get into techniques, it's kind of the first major step in selling? Yeah. Well, you know, there's so much competition in the marketplace today, Brian. There's always somebody better. There's already, always somebody maybe hustling a little more. And if you don't really believe in your product... It, man, it'll be easy to get discouraged. You'll, they'll, they'll, they'll beat you another time. You'll lose another sale. And belief keeps you in the game. Belief keeps you committed. And, <clears throat> you know, when I talk about product, I know your audience is made up of entrepreneurs and, and it's everyone from financial services industry to insurance to realtors to landscapers to HVAC guys, whatever that might be, contractors. And I want to talk a little bit about product. When I say product, most of those companies that are industries that I just mentioned are really service industry. <clears throat> and if somebody wants to have someone come do a renovation project on their home, there's 50 guys in the market they can call to do that. And you all can pretty much hang the drywall, do the paint. So you got to start asking, what's going to differentiate me? And that is typically... It's, it's, um, it is your uh, service and it's your price. That's what's going to differentiate you. So what is your product? Is it the irrigation system that you're going to put in someone's yard? Well, a lot of people do that. What differentiates you? And that's what I, the question I'd, I'd be asking your audience. What differentiates you is your service and your price. Bill, let's be candid. You know, we're coming off a boom period. We're talking about the world artificially shut down. There was artificial stimulants like kids. I want to get my kids more energetic. So instead of exercise and eating right, we gave them candy. And the candy we gave was trillions and trillions of dollars of government spending. The Fed eased the rate and made borrowing ridiculously easy. And so now we have a bunch of sugar high economies that are now starting to come off the sugar high and starting to get flat. During that period of time when work became optional, when there's 11 million open jobs in this country right away. I was just in Ireland. The care facility where my parents are, they're like, hey, we can't get the Irish people to come work here. So we're bringing people in from India. And we're interested, you want to rent out your house because we have nowhere for them to live because there's a housing crisis. And you look at all these dynamics that are going on in the marketplace. 
service across the board is in the tank. Let's just be candid. And it's been going there for a while. You know, getting people who are actually interested in their work, interested in looking you in the eye and listening and being attentive. I just believe one of the most amazing ways to stand out amongst your competition today is by paying attention to those fundamentals of I'm actually interested in serving you. How can I help you? I'm excited to serve you. Thank you for your business. I mean, these things right now, this is revolutionary type thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It, Brian, it's so it's so true. And, and you know, most neighborhoods in the country today have their own Facebook page. And all the neighbors are on the Facebook page. And what are they doing? They're asking for recommendations. They're asking for trusted referrals. Let me tell you, I've seen businesses explode. I've seen people in the service industry get more business than they can handle because they show up on time, work hard while they're there, and are grateful for the opportunity and let their customer know it. And so when I talk about belief in your product, A, your product isn't so much the the, the physical thing that you provide. Your product is you. And then you got to believe in you that you can deliver. If you do that, man, the business is there. Yeah, it is. And again, we're talking about the game of business. We're talking about how to play to win. And the first step is belief. And so once a person is in that, I am sold myself. I believe in myself. I believe I'm the right person. I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. Once we believe, you always use this phrase, all in. And we've used it many times and had this conversation many times. We've had this conversation on the golf course. What does it look like to be all in in sales? Yeah, well, you know, going all in is first, it's like the it's like the breakfast of ham and eggs, right, Brian? You know, where the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. <laughs> and going all in, you got to be committed. Um, you know, you know that that uh, for a few years, uh, I was involved with an Amish owned shed company. We built backyard storage sheds. And one of the opportunities I had during that time was to go visit a big lumber mill up in Minnesota, one of the largest ones in the country. And um, Brian, I got to experience what going all in looks like when I watched a lumber mill operate. <clears throat> what happened was they, they take these logs and they run them through this whole process where they're cutting it up and they're creating plywood. And... When, when that plywood got created, I was standing there watching this happen where there's these wood chips. They take this huge log and by the end of this process, there's all these wood chips. They're about a foot high. And what they do is they take this massive steel plate and this plate comes down and it presses that wood and it presses it and presses it and holds it. And it holds it for a couple minutes. And then when it releases it, it creates this beautiful piece of perfect plywood. Well, during that process, Brian, there was a truck pulled up next to where that press was happening. But when that plywood was done, they didn't put it on the truck. They put it on these racks. And I, and I said to the guy giving me the tour of this lumber mill, I said, hey, why didn't you just put the wood on the truck. Here's where the lesson is. The guy said to me, well, Bill, we tried that once, but when the truck caught on fire, we decided we better let it cool first on the cooling rack. 
And what he explained was when you press something that hard and hold it for that long, it creates so much energy that it'll catch fire. Wow. That's a great lesson for going all in in sales is you got to press and you got to press and hold. You know, I like to think of it as uh, doing two years of work in 90 days. Man, you go all in, you just work. And you know, a lot of times we use the phrase, fill your pipeline. Well, think about it. Two years of work in 90 days, you're filling that pipeline and you're filling it and you're filling it and you're filling it. And eventually it blows open. And man, then you just start handling all of it. But most people don't do that, Brian. Most people don't push that hard. They just, they just trickle. Everything they do is just to trickle. They try something here. They try something there. No, you got to press and hold and then fire will happen. And I think for a lot of people, you know, they're, they're afraid to do that because they're afraid of burning out. And the truth of the matter is you can get so much accomplished in 90 days if you press in and then you also build in, I'm going to cool off. I'm yeah. going to cool off just like that piece of plywood. It needs time to cool. I'm going to go take that little vacation. I'm going to go take that trip. I'm going to go chill out, but I'm going to see how good I can do. A great example from my own career, and again, I don't know why I'm going back so much in memory lane today, but my mentor in real estate is the late Gene Kuhlman. At the time, he would say, ah, oh, you could do about five or six deals in a month, but after that, it kind of it gets a little squirrely. Well, I had set some goals, and it's, it's probably because I was just back home, but I had set a goal. I was newly married uh, about three years. We just had our first son, and he was the first grandbaby. And I hadn't been back to Ireland in years. My parents had come over. And I set this goal of going home to Ireland. Not only did I want to go to Ireland, I wanted to get everybody in my family there. I had this vision in my mind of, you know, go to La Hinch in the west coast of Ireland, rent a couple of cottages, and get everybody together and pay for everybody's trip. I wrote out that goal, and it became powerful. You talk about a why. And I pressed in, and I went after all the, the leads that were sitting around in my office and people that I kind of call back but I hadn't really mm -hmm. pursued. Because once I figured it out, it's like, okay, I put the trip on an American Express card. Now, I don't recommend anybody do this. This is almost uh, 30 years ago now. But I put the entire trip on an American Express card. I had 30 days until the billing cycle and then another 30 days to pay it. Because Amex, you had to pay the whole amount back then. So I had 60 days to get it done. You know, Bill, I sold 13 homes that month. My previous record had been six sales in a month. And the following month, I sold 12. Not only did I pay for that trip, I paid for that trip plus, 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 plus. But I also learned something afterwards. Went on the trip, went to Ireland, came back, and I went, hang on a second here. If I could do this one month, I can do this again. I had established a new high point. You set a new standard. Yeah. And now I was like, hang on a second here. I can sell 120 homes a year, not 50. And I can do it, by the way, by going, pressing in hard, and then taking a break and pressing in hard. And it's interesting you talk about 90 days. That's what I did. Every 90 days, I'd set myself a goal per quarter, and then I'd take a little break. And I'd press myself in because I knew the break would come, and I could cool off so my truck didn't go on fire. And so I think it's a powerful thing. All in doesn't mean permanently, perennially, but I would say that if you have a strong enough why, you can endure anyhow. I had a very strong why, I, and I wrote out the goal. I didn't want my parents to pass away and not see their mm, first grandson. Mm, wow, that's powerful. And it hit me like a ton of bricks Yeah, as an immigrant. Yeah. And again, thank God they've lived to see 
not only their six grandkids for me and other couple other grandkids with my brothers, but they've also seen their great grandkids. So thank God for that. But I live my life as if they might not make it. And I went for it. And I don't regret a single day of it. And it created a new standard for me. So I had a chance to go all in. You know, we talk about that belief. We talk about that why. You talk about being all in. Those are kind of mindsets. But one of the things that you and I are very aligned on is the whole dynamic of being a pro. Being a pro, standing out from the competition, just being professional in a very unprofessional world. What does being a pro look like for you? Brian, being a pro to me is summed up in one word, and that's focus. Um, I'll, I'll say two words, intense focus. Um, one of my favorite authors, Stephen Pressfield, here's what he has to say about it. He says, the sure sign of an amateur is he has a million plans and they all start tomorrow. And that's the difference between an amateur and a pro. I mean, I, I looked it up today. You know, Aaron Judge just set the American League record for home runs. And I was doing some research on that because I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if he had goals and focus at the beginning of the year. And, you know, I just, I just researched that and found that absolutely he wanted to hit 70 home runs uh, this year. That was his goal at the beginning. 70. And he hit 60. I don't know where he's at now, whatever that might be. But I think pros have an intense focus. Being a pro means narrowing your focus. You got to be very specific on the results you want. Pros are very specific, 70 home runs. They're very specific about the results they want. You got to be very focused on your daily habits. Um, you have to know the actions it takes to produce the desired results. And then you got to show up every day, no matter how you feel. Pros do the work. So you, you have to be very focused. You have to know what it is. You got to be clear on the results you want. You got to know exactly the actions you have to do on a daily basis in order to achieve those results. And then you got to show up every day and do the work. That's what pros do. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a presenter, and you know, you've seen a lot of what I do around the country and around the world. I've done over 2,200 seminars. And there were times when there was laryngitis and fever. There was plane flights. There was luggage that got lost. There was broken toes, dislocated shoulders, challenges at home, at work, wherever you want to go. I was once introduced and the CEO of the company got fired an hour before I went on stage. And they're like, hey, can you fill up? And there's 8,000 people in the auditorium. And like, can you fill up the time? Uh, our CEO just got fired. And he was the guy who was going to introduce you. I mean, I've had every circumstance you can. But at the end of the day, you just got to be a pro, irrespective of your feelings, irrespective of your circumstances. And some people think that's kind of dismissive to feelings and emotions. But I would say this, if you can count on yourself in one area of your life, when all hell is breaking loose, it gives a sense of calmness and strength to the other areas of your life. And just showing up, being a pro and having that intense focus. Absolutely. Very, very powerful. You know, in our promotion episode, Bill, I asked you for some tips because we want people to think, feel, and do better. And the do requires some how-tos. What are your best tips for winning the sales game? You know, Brian, this, is, this may be one that people disagree with me on, and that's fine. But it, for me, it, I'm a big believer in this. I've heard people say before, I've heard it said, um, aim for an eagle, beg a pheasant, don't eat crow. <laughs> And what that says is, hey, look, 
You know, people say, look, aim high. And if you miss it, at least you get a pheasant. Well, let me tell you something. I'd rather aim for the pheasant and hit the pheasant. I'm a big believer in setting goals that can be accomplished. I think there's great power in accomplishment. I don't want to, I don't want to lead a sales team or have my sales team do good things, but constantly miss the goal. So I think I would tell your audience, set goals you can hit. And then, man, when you set those goals, get them in front of your team, man. I know people want their offices to look nice, but I like to see those charts and graphs on the wall. And I like to see them every day where we're filling in the thermometer or whatever it might be. Let us see it in front of us. And, um, and then, hey, lastly, I would say make the payoff um, fun and make it unique to each individual. I got to tell you, I was consulting with a client one time and the CEO, he loved to hunt. He was a big hunter. And so he said, hey guys, for this sales goal, we're going to all go on a big hunt together. And about 70% of the team was like, what? I don't want to go hunt. That wasn't an incentive to them. And it was really a tone deaf moment on that CEO's thing to go, why would you think that everybody would get excited about that? So, so know your team well enough that when you set rewards, each person's going to get excited about what that is. And um, I just think those are three things. Hit the goals, um, get it in front of them, let them see them, celebrate together, and then make each reward individual to your team. Yeah, I love it. George Patton. When asked what did he need to win the war, he said, I need tanks full of gas and a full box of medals. He wanted to acknowledge and reward people. And at that time in the military, the one reward you were allowed to give was acknowledgement through medals and accomplishment. And I think that is a big deal. And I think the other thing you're bringing up again, and if people can pick up our energy is somewhat high, and so nitro and glycerin together, if you're (laughs) listening to this, you might have to turn the volume down. But the other part of it is we're excited by this stuff. And you're talking about like, oh, Here's yeah. a recession and here's the numbers and here's the dreary, drawery stuff. And this can be fun and it can be fun. And I think the goals, it should be a little bit beyond your grasp. So you stretch, but then you go hit them. And then secondly, rewards, fun. It should be enjoyable. You know, there is rewards and accomplishment and accomplishment should be rewarded. Just a thought that came to me here is if you were to give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur starting out today, and uh, a lot of people are entering the marketplace today, they want to start a business. They're full of hope, but they hear all the noise. What, what's the best advice you would give to a, a new entrepreneur today? Boy, Brian, um, this, this may not come as a surprise because of my background, but if you can, be debt-free. Debt, being debt-free gives you so many options. Being debt-free allows you to be in charge and not somebody else. It just frees you. And so um, if you can do it debt-free with limited debt, boy, do it because it just allows you to run a little faster. It's great stuff. Well, we're landing the plane on time as always. Uh, great stuff. If you've listened to the episode on promotion, you've gotten the, the tanks full. You listened to this episode on sales. Now you know the direction to go. And we're going to have another follow-on episode and we're going to talk about growth. And we're going to talk about growing your business, growing yourself doing everything it needs to grow. Because at the end of the day, I think for you, for me, Bill, everybody feels better when they're growing. And so we're going to take a shot at that next. Thanks for joining me again today, Bill. I think you've done 
great work here. And just we're just so appreciative you could take the time to be with us. Oh, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Well, we're going to finish off with a great saleswoman herself, Therese Buffini. She was always promoting. She's always selling. It was classic. She's in this care facility in Dublin. And one of the things they do is they bring in the families that are thinking about checking out the facility and want to know about it. And here they trot out Therese and she talks to them about it and she kind of creates some realism of what it's not, but then she lets them know how great it is and the people get excited and enthusiastic. And here's this little 92-year-old gal who's doing this. And I was there during one of these presentations the other day and I was watching her and these folks were like totally bought into what she was saying. And she turns around, she gives me a wink and she goes, you know, they're not even paying me a commission for this. The amount of sales I'm doing for this organization. I'm like, she's still got it, baby. She's still got it. And she knows she's talking to her son, the salesman. So there was no greater joy than that. Sales is the best. It should be fun. And at the end of the day, if you want to really secure your future as a business person, you got to make sure you get the sales thing down, especially heading into this recession. I want to hand you off to the saleswoman herself, Therese Buffini, to give you a little Irish blessing. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. 